0: Hello BookStew viewers. I have never before had an illustrator on Book Stew, and that's 71 shows. I don't know why it took me so long, but I'm going to tell you a little story at the beginning of the show so you'll understand why um, this particular illustrator is joining us today. So if you look um, to my left, you're going to see a red and blue stuffed animal and a little uh, penguin that only has one eye and you're going to see a beautiful painted portrait of these two very special animals. The way they had their portrait done is that I, was, I get um, notifications from Porter Square Books in Cambridge about upcoming events and they had a charitable event where you could bring a stuffed animal to the bookstore and an illustrator would give you a painted representation of your stuffed animal. And I thought this was the greatest idea. And so I told my daughter who is uh, 32 this week and still loves stuffed animals. And we both put our stuffed animals together. Hers is the horse and mine is the penguin. And in fact, she made that penguin, that little one-eyed penguin. And we went to the Porter Square bookshop and there were three illustrators sitting and waiting to uh, hear the story of our stuffed animals and to paint their portraits. And Julia and I were just attracted to one of the illustrators, maybe because she just looked very sympathetic, and she kind of looked at us like she was almost asking us to come and sit in front of her and tell us the story of our animals, so we did. And the whole time, for about an hour, we chatted while she worked, and Julia and I watched and marveled at how our animals absolutely sprung to life. Um, This wonderful illustrator and now author is Joanna Hobai, and I'm going to introduce her to you now. Joanna, it's just such a thrill for you to be here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you have a very interesting background, um, not only as a writer and an illustrator, which I want to speak about because we know that there are people who illustrate books, there are people who write books. It's not always the same thing, and you don't always have the same role but let's start with your own childhood and where you come from.
1: So I was born in Bucharest, Romania in the 70s and um, I grew up there all my life and studied architecture in college and I left Romania in 95, um, moving to Bristol, UK, where I stayed for three years with my then husband who was doing a PhD there. And after that, we moved from um, Bristol to uh, Baltimore. We came to the U.S., and I was always following. I always said I'm like a little luggage. So he was uh-huh. doing his research, and I was I was working as an architect on the side. Um, and I, um, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of um, so. And I've been drawing and illustrated. Uh, Drawing all my life, I don't remember a time when I did not hold a pencil, and I know that's what most illustrators say. But this is really true. In so my were, case.
0: It, it, I didn't know that most illustrators say that because I haven't. You're my first right. illustrator that I've interviewed, but um, were you encouraged by your family?
1: Um, yes, uh, in the sense that they would provide pencil, but it wasn't something pencils. But it wasn't something that anybody asked me to do or would. I just drew. Um, I was also fortunate maybe to come from an environment where there was art. Uh, my grandmother's sister was married to a professional artist. Uh-huh. And um, he used to tell me that when I, was, when I was three, I used to draw perfect circles. So he loved that about me. And I, uh, I learned to draw still lives and um, painting uh, oil and watercolor with him and do charcoal studies. So that was like in second grade, I was doing still lives. And because in fifth grade, um, he actually persuaded my parents to send me to an art-based school, uh, to an art-oriented school. Um, It's called the Nicolae Tonica High School in Bucharest. It goes from fifth through eighth through 12th grade. And um, I stayed there until eighth grade. And the training there was amazing, Um, was very rigorous. So we do everything from still life ceramics, uh, uh, compositions. uh. So was
0: it expected that you would make a career of art based on attending the school?
1: A lot of kids who went there, they continued up until high school, and then they went to study art at the Art Institute. I would have liked to do that, but I sort of wavered and I liked also medicine. I was thinking maybe I could become a pediatrician. And um, so my parents said, well, if you want to do this, then probably you should go to a more scientific-based school where we provide you the training. Because in Romania, in order to go to um, university, you have to pass an entrance exam. So, um, and it was harder to go from a school where mostly you do art and not be so much concerned about maths and physics. So so I went to a scientific, so math-physics-oriented high school. And I must say, I dreaded those four years. It was really, uh, I miss drawing. I realized how much I miss drawing. And, um, but it was also hard as economic conditions to go and study art. I mean, my parents were concerned that, you know, you become an artist, what are you gonna do? This was communist Romania. It was hard to make a living as an artist. Uh, There was a lot of propaganda going on, so, so I ended up I said okay let's choose something middle ground so I ended up studying architecture which was well, so halfway did, between do you think art.
0: that so architecture almost is like a combination of art and science when you come right down to it It is but on the other hand it's not either one mm. so did you feel frustrated
1: I did and I missed I remember envying terribly all my friends who were in had gone to study art or who were in 12th grade preparing to go into art and they were doing all these wonderful studies of Moses or Venus of Milo. And I was like, I just want to know how to do that. And even now, <laughs> like I'd love to get a cast of
0: <laughs> of <laughs> Moses and just draw the thing just to well, make sure. Well, hopefully that I get you'll it. have the success yeah. that will enable yeah. you to yeah. do some Moses so studies. That's, that's so great. it's just I
1: always, I always had this sort of regret that I did not go and pursue art, just art, not because architecture still has yes there's an art component and we did study a lot of you know study forms and watercolor in first gra- in the first year it's a six year study by the way so you go into architecture and is everything is architecture based so you don't do geography history unless it's pertaining to architecture.
0: So did you have to put your pencils down and, and study? Were you able to continue just drawing No, the drawing, the drawing
1: is intense, uh, but, not, but it was mostly, a, yeah, drawing. no, not that. That was always on the side, so my pages were always like doodles. And uh, <laughs> and actually I had a, you know, I thought about it and I looked on, even after I finished um, university and then we left the country, and I was looking, I don't know how I came across of some old, Um, um, resumes that I had sent to employers, you know, in England or here. And always at the hobbies, it says, I love to illustrate children's books. And Uh it's so interesting that I noticed that after, you know, 15 years or so. So it must have been there all the time. And when I was in about second year of... um, university, a friend of mine asked me if I could illustrate the cover for a collection of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. I remember that time being a little bit cagey because he didn't ask me to do the inside illustration. I don't want to put my name on, who knows what's going to be inside that book. just
0: a cover? But he must have had great respect for your abilities because a cover is, I don't care what they say about not judging a book right. by its cover, everybody oh, I, I judges judge the a book by I, I its cover. I do, I do. And So uh, that—so in a way, that was a big compliment, Right. But
1: Nothing came of it, but I still have that. It was for the Pied Piper, and I still have that. And so after we left the country and we were, you know, trapped, like living in the UK and then here, I kept drawing and I kept painting in oil and kept doing this and after I had my first child, you know, because you're reading a lot of picture books, um, this sort of came back to me and I started illustrating um, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales just for myself and learned about the Society of Writers, Children's Writers and Illustrators, the SCBWI, and joined. I learned about the Bologna Book Fair, which is one of the biggest uh, book fairs for
0: illustrators. It's, and it's specifically for illustrators? Yes. I've never heard, I've never yeah. heard of it, so.
1: And it's, um, so it's one of the biggest book fairs in, um, in Europe, and it's, it's, I think there are authors too, but it's a lot of, mostly illustrators go there. And I remember sending some images there, of course they came back, I mean I didn't get into the show, but it was the whole thing of starting to love this thing and doing it. Um, and about five years ago, um, I I was wondering what what makes me happy in terms of career, and I I was at home by that time with my um, second child, and I thought you know if financial issues financial reasons were not an issue and you just want to choose something what would it be and for me it was children's illustration and I just threw myself into it.
0: What do you think drew you to to children's as opposed to, well, I mean, so many, I mean, most children's picture books have illustrations, so they need illustrators. Mm. Um, there's not many people I would imagine these days who make a living doing adult illustration unless it's like editorial right. yeah, or, you know, editorial. the little doodles that are yeah. in the New Yorker or something like that. But do you feel like you were drawn specifically to children's stories?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because when I was in Romania and you know, I had my dreams of maybe studying art, I was really drawn towards animation.
0: So I would love oh, to draw so that's another whole right. area of interest. Then. Right.
1: So uh, see, I should have kind of categorized my life story <laughs> much better before coming here. Well, I mean, so. but
0: I, mean, I can—it's like amazing. Yeah. It spreads from like yeah. architecture, right. medicine, right. architecture drawing, right. illustration, animation. That's right. that's. And I remember
1: my uncle looking a little bit down on me on my little doodles of. I always had like little doodles and stuff and gave them names, and they had their own little stories, and he was, this is not really art, art. Well, so that, it was that's that like, of, the, you know.
0: but that is a permanent conflict, I'm afraid, you know, <laughs> artists look down on illustrators, right. and um, well, illustrators yeah. are kind of like, who well, are you yeah. to look down on what my work? And
1: Although Romania had a very strong illustration, sort of like the art in the picture book illustration was very strong and very beautiful, sort of very graphic oriented, very good quality illustration. So, but you know, maybe that just wasn't his thing. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, I just, I think that was just something that I responded to and I love kids. I love the way they think. I, I think I connect well to kids. So, just children's story just come natural to me, so I guess that's that's part of it.
0: So then, ha- so how did it go from uh, a dream? I would really like to do this to reality because um, I'm looking at two books, and I know you've got another one yeah. coming out.
1: Um, well, so when I decided, okay, I want to pursue this, it's like how am I going to learn about it? And I went on the internet and try and learn how do you make um, a dummy, which is a dummy book, which is the project, when you have a book you write the text and say you have the illustrations, then you make like a book maquette, like a book project, and you you put them all together, text and illustration, and it's like, um, yeah, it's called a dummy. Uh, It's not a very nice name, (laughs) but... Well, it's a mock-up. It's a mock-up, yeah, that's the word I was looking for, yeah, But did you
0: know, so this book that um, we're going to talk about today, um, which I really enjoyed, you are not the author, you are the illustrator. So how did, uh, did you, was it like, okay, I'll be the illustrator until I can get to the point where I can write my own stories, or how did you connect with the author?
1: Um, No, so the... So in, I'll, I'll do it very shortly, so I decided that I wanted to take a serious class, so I went to MassArt. Uh, uh-huh. And I took a class in children's narrative illustration there, and one of our projects was we had to write and illustrate a book as part of, we had to finish the class with a dummy. And that's what opened to me the idea that, hey, maybe I can actually write.
0: So in that class, you had to write as you well as to, illustrate? You had to, if you
1: wanted to, but I was like, why not take the challenge and try and make up so a story? So you could have
0: illustrated somebody else's yeah. work, but, but, oh,
1: okay. Any, they wouldn't judge you on the text, like right. you didn't have to. They were looking mostly at the illustration, but it just sort of opened the door. Um, and after that, I started illustrating for a nonprofit in Waltham. Um, it's an education, uh, it's a literacy based nonprofit, the Education Development Center. Mm. And I did four books for them, illust- uh, written by uh, an author, Stephen Krensky. And uh, so that was for the educational market. And then I went to SCBWI conferences, the Children's Writers and Illustrator conferences. There are two big ones every year one in New York, one in LA. I've never been to LA, but this was in New York. And I went to a workshop of one of the publishers, who at the time was uh, an art director a woman who was at the time an art director, or I thought was an art director for Candlewick Press.
0: Which is a very big... Which is a very big... Are they
1: based in Boston? They're based in, yeah, in Somerville. Okay. So, or Cambridge. And um, and I, um, after the... She had actually announced during the workshop that she had become publisher for this newly based Salem uh, publishing house, uh, Page Street Kids which was um, a branch of Page Street, who does lifestyle and sort of uh, books, cookbooks and a lot of other. So they're very successful that way, but they wanted to open a children's division. So after the workshop, you know, you usually go and say hello, and maybe you give them your business card. And in that one instance, I remember, I was like, she's not going to remember me, because there was a line of people, and I was like, you know, so I just, talk to her assistant. I said, can I just leave you my card and not stay in line? I mean, what's the point, you know? There's so many. <laughs> the competition is so <laughs> fierce. And she called me after the conference and she said, I've seen your card. I love your work. Would you like to work together? And I said, sure. Do you have anything? Do you write? And I said, yes. And at the time I sent her a manuscript of Lena that I already had, my second book, my first book as an author illustrator. and. She said, yeah, that's interesting. I'm interested in that one, but it needs revisions. Um, And then I did uh, an image for another SCBWI conference. That was a New England one. It was called Can I Keep It? And I remember sending the image to Kristen Nobles, who was the publisher. And I said, just so you see what I'm doing right now, just to keep in touch. And she emailed back and she said, I think I have a job for you and she um, she offered me to illustrate Before You Sleep, at which point I sort of panicked because I had not imagined that my first illustration book was going to be a poem. So this is, was very different from what I had done before, but it turned out to be
0: good. It's, um, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I love children's books too, but um, I think some of them are too mushy, um, generally, and I, I'm not, particularly appreciative of ones that deal with religious issues because I think bedtime stories, this is very much a bedtime story, of course it's called Before You Sleep, but um, it just struck me as a little bit different because as it says, it's a bedtime book of gratitude. And I don't ever remember seeing anything like that before. What did you think when you got the poem? Um, I read
1: through it. My first instance was it's long, <laughs> so, you know, you think you put yourself in the shoes of the illustrator and you read it. But then as I read it, I really liked the lyrical quality of it. It's very dreamy, it's very soothing, and I thought, maybe this could work. Maybe we can do something of it. So I remember writing it down, I wrote it by hand, and then just trying to think of images that every stanza, you know, I would associate with. And then, of course, this is a team effort. You know, you send sketches to the publisher and then they send them back. And then we kind of arrive to this family, basically, that um, establishes a bedtime ritual. And before the kid goes to bed, he just remembers things that happened during the day. And the book is illustrated in the way that each stanza, the beginning of each stanza, it's rendered in blue. They're like two lines. And those show the ritual, like he's uh, playing with his sister, then he's brushing his teeth, then he's sort of cuddling with his toys, and then, and those are so are more monochromatic, if you were, or the palette is reduced, and then his memories come back full color, like what he did with the grandparents, where did he go, and it's sort of, so we just try to create an atmosphere, and that's the whole point, you're trying to maybe say another story, tell another story, besides the text, if you can, so to enhance the text, not to just, illustrated. So it's, it was fun and it was a gr- big learning curve for me, just learning to deal with the deadline and sort of, um, and I, I felt it, it, it was great help, so.
0: So um, I, I also like the fact that um, th- there's obviously a multicultural element, mm-hmm. but not like, here I'm showing an African American kid, here I'm showing a Hispanic kid it really flowed you know mm-hmm. it, it could be read by by any child who could see themselves in the book and see the fam- their own family in the family.
1: Right because we were thinking like who who are these people and you know maybe um, you know the mom is Asian or sort of um, and the dad is uh, you know he just happened to be like red haired and we thought you know maybe she has two kids maybe they're from a previous marriage we don't know. Right. Um, and they also have a baby together, and the baby's blue-eyed, but the other kids are not. And how are the grandparents? Where the grandparents come? Do they come from the dad's side, from the mom's side? So I think the grandma comes from the mom's side, and the grandpa comes from that side. So it's kind of a combination of things. And for me, it was also nice to remember my grandma, my own grandma, when I drew that one a Aww. little bit. Um, my grandpa died when I was seven, so and my other grandpa, I never knew him. so. I try to make up a story about a grandpa that I never had, <laughs> in a way. Do so you think
0: that that's common for illustrators? If you have the latitude to kind of uh, pluck from your own experience and family,
1: I think you do. I think you do, and you. you I think in each each story that it, that you illustrate, I think you do put your heart in it. You do put so. Um, it's because you're spending a lot of time with that text and that book and that sort of those images and it's just, you end up being present in those books. I mean, you, how can you not care and how can you not put something over?
0: So I also know that um, in maybe more in cartooning and in animation, there are artists and then there are colorists. Right. I just, I've been reading some graphic novels mm. and um, one especially about uh, the Trojan War, and the the writer it was basically an interpretation of Homer and the Iliad. The illustrator and the colorist were all kind of co-credited. Do you do your own coloring?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. And I think even in a lot of graphic novels that come out these days, like I, um, I don't know how animation is. I mean, I know there are like big teams and stuff, and in the old days you used to have the colorists and sort of all the people who kind of, uh, but nowadays I think that even a lot of people that do their graphic novels, uh, they do all the drawings themselves. Oh, okay. Uh, And for illustration, for sure, like you
0: do all the work yourself. So how long would it take, for example, I'm just going to pick a random page, and of course we'll be showing illustrations from the book um, all through the show, but So here you've got a page with a very little bit of text. You've got um, a primary drawing and then kind of a secondary drawing that goes into where the text is. How long would it take you, do you think, to conceptualize the illustration that's gonna go with that text to designing it, to coloring it, to revising it? It all goes in stages. And I think every book
1: can be, um, you know, can t- a picture book can take anywhere from one to two years. Really? Or six months to two years. This was a one of six months schedule. So, you know, this publisher was smaller and the book source kind of rolled out faster. And it sort of, but it can take a lot of time. I mean, it depends a lot on the illustrator and how busy your schedule is and how fast you draw and how much does it take you to. Um, for this one, you know, first I had like a mock-up, like black and white sketches and they went through a couple of rounds of revisions and then they're approved and then they say you can go to final, which means you can put in color, you use the, you know, the approved sketch and then you start coloring or, you know, make one based on that and you color it. And that, you know, if you're not pleased with the colors, it's up to you, you can go back and forth, back and forth until you give them something that
0: you're happy with. Did you do that a lot, or how did you do it? Um, because the colors in this are just, I mean, they're outstanding. If, if the story and the illustrations aren't outstanding enough, the colors are just, you know, they're kind of a little bit muted and subtle, but not everywhere. So here you've got right. a page with subtle colors and then one with, um, even though it's got kind of a, the blue background, brighter colors.
1: Right, so it's, um, it's yeah, because those were part of the memory of. His, and that's sort of like closing off the stanza with another image that reflects the reality of his bedtime ritual and going to bed. That's what I was saying before about the blue sketches and the the colored ones. So these are watercolor with layered color pencil on top. Oh. So that's where the softness comes from because you just layer and feather and... And is
0: that a common technique? Um,
1: it depends. I, used, I, I think that's where, you know architecture, studying architecture Uh sort of comes into, you know, it all comes together in the end. However, you know, you may regret, oh, I didn't study art to start with. I think it all ends up informing what I do right now because I used to do a ton of color renderings in colored pencil when I was working in Bristol in UK doing presentation drawings and stuff. So you end up getting pretty fast and sort of, and mixing colors. And so, and you try to use all those techniques and they come together.
0: So an artist with a different background not in architecture might have done it completely differently.
1: Right. And also I think it's the, the style sort of just matches the text. So you want something that's soothing and sort of soft and you know. I just felt this was an appropriate technique for this type of text. Now, I'm hoping that each of my books to be actually different. There are oh. artists, they use the same style throughout the books. their books so you can actually recognize it. I would hope that maybe there's a common thread within my books, between my books. But um, I, would, I would hope, I, w- I just love to experiment. Ah. So I'm hoping that you know books are different. So my current one is quite different in technique and
0: Well, let's move <laughs> on to Lena's slippers, which um, which is your first published Sorry. writer and illustrator. Yes. So doing double duty on this, how different was it um, from before you sleep, where you were, only, and I say only in quotes, responsible for the illustrations.
1: It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Much harder, right? It's a, it's a lot of work. Not only do you have to have the manuscript in shape, and um, but you also have to um, make the drawings. That being said, I love that, because you are in control, right. and you have your text, you know exactly what you put on paper, and what's in your mind in terms of illustration? I tend to think in images a lot. So I think it's, for me, it's much more cohesive. I prefer that. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that, that I can, can do keep that. Keep going, right? <laughs> so
0: um, Lena's Slippers is actually, as you say at the end, a story based on your own life. So can you tell the viewers a little bit about it? Not the end, because we don't want right. to ruin the surprise at the end.
1: So yeah, it's based on. Um, my growing up in Romania and the classroom next door to mine, we had a mean teacher, like <laughs> mean. <laughs> There's no she teacher. is very mean. She in very book. mean. And, uh, um, and uh, she was in charge of organizing all the, the school recitals and performances. And these were not based, like, we did not have, like, kids have now ballet after school or all these activities. They were part of the school, um, you know, if you had to do a, a performance, then okay kids, let's just make, up, make some costumes at home and we'll come and we we'll do a dance and they would sort of choreograph a dance without having any dance training. It did not matter much. Um, so it was all very makeshift. Um, you would only do ballet if you went to the one and only uh, ballet school in, in town but that was like a school where you pass an exam to get in. And it was like, you know, it's almost like the art school. So it's very sort of focused towards that. But other than that, there were no opportunities for kids to do dance or ballet or mm. after school. So this was one, op- I mean, it was lovely to go and, and do that. Um, and she was asking for these, it was such a stress for me because she wanted all these things that we never had. and. She wanted like a certain type of fabric, a certain type of shoes, a certain, and they were hard to find. Like the stores were empty. It's hard for me to imagine nowadays those times. And I'm thinking my poor parents, how hard it must have been on them because. Because they didn't want to make you unhappy. No, and uh, my mom learned to sew, so she would make us nice clothes. Um, on the side note, I remember that she used to get these um German magazines I think that was East Germany with uh, patterns uh-huh. so she learned how to do patterns wow. and she would make us jeans Wow! and if you had maybe a t-shirt from somewhere who came from the west or so so, cool, you'd cut right? the label and then you put it on oh. the jeans to look <laughs> as if it was foreign made so you just look cooler so those are the things that people did in those times and, um, and for this particular performance, I needed white ballet slippers and I did not have them. I only had some brown ones. and They weren't even the ballet slippers that people have these
0: days, like the leather ones.
1: They were like some sort of plastic sort of just looking like ballet slippers but they weren't really like so just that soft was, synthetic that thing. was
0: really an obstacle to somebody who just wanted to kind of go on stage right, and twirl right, and have right, fun right i'm going to stop you there because right. i don't want it says to in the end uh, what i did with them but, but yeah um, it's. it's a i thought it was um it really captured Uh, If you can do as well with stories that aren't true as you do with something based on a true story, I know you'll be madly successful because it really yanked at your heartstrings, put you there. I think you know there's not, uh, especially a girl, of course, but there's not a child who wouldn't really um, feel for the main character and understand. Because, I mean, even as affluent as our kids are, there's always times when you're not quite going to be able to, have what the other kids have, or have what you need, and there's always ways to get around it.
1: Right, and it's not only like you know affluent kids, but a lot of non you know kids that are struggling, like even in this country. And sort of it does not matter like what you wear, and that was sort of my point to this story. Because of course you know when you think of stuff that happens in the seventies, happened in the seventies or eighties, like it's <laughs> even considered like historical, which makes me think like oh my god, I'm old. Aww. But uh, it's, it's just, it, that's not the point. It's like, do you love to dance? Right. Do you love to, don't judge what other people have because there are always going to be people having more than what you have, no matter I mean, how much you do. And kids do judge themselves, oh, so-and-so has this, and so-and-so has that. And it's like, don't, don't, don't go for those, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, and I think maybe growing up in a place where there was so little Maybe you you learn that you know there are things that matter and things that not so much. So, and I think
0: um, overcoming obstacles, right, um, creatively is one of the greatest lessons yeah. you could learn. So, and, and also follow
1: your passion. That was sort there of my thing, and that's maybe where it comes a little bit of again of my personal story. Like, if you love somebody something, just do it and just try and sort of pursue that no matter like you don't have the right dress you don't have the right shoes you don't have the right but do you want to do it you can find ways then you know it may not be perfect but you can still do it
0: but it's and and you can find joy i mean it's really illustrative of your whole career if i can make a joke upon with illustrative (laughs) um i we only have another minute but please tell us what's happening next um,
1: so next, there's a, my next book is called "A Whale of a Mistake," and it comes out next um, March in two thousand and twenty. And it's about um, a little blue person who goes on an emotional journey on a whale of a mistake. Ooh! And she gathers, she gains wisdom and perspective along the way. It's a more of an abstract story. And um, I hope it's very different from Lena and from Before You Sleep.
0: And so I you're you're growing and you're expanding at, as you have through your whole life. It I think like. it's just
1: fun to explore, and this is a very different story from what I've written so far. And I was lucky that you know my publisher loved it, and. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Well, <laughs> I'm looking forward
0: to you coming back to Bookstu in 2020 then with your new book. And there will always be uh, a time slot available for you because you're a wonderful guest with great stories and beautiful illustrations. So um, Bookstu viewers, I want you very much to run to the library or to a bookstore and uh, take a look at Joanna Hobai's two published books, and we'll all anticipate the next one together. And uh, thank you for joining me thank today. Thank you for having it's me. Been thank been you very wonderful. much. It's been wonderful, and Book viewers, uh, have a great day.